Well, hey, good morning, church. It's really good to be here in the house of God uh, with you all. Uh, for those of you tuning in online as well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, just a few announcements. First of all, uh, youth students, welcome. I'm so glad one of our youth students got to uh, take home that book. Uh, hopefully, it's not too um, heady or, or it's, it's understandable, easy to read. Um, but also, uh, remember, this is your service just as much as it is your parents' service. And a reminder, just right after this service, we are starting up a youth group again. And so, we're going to have lunch uh, and a small group time uh, uh, just with the students, parents. Uh, you know, there, there's no more parent small group anymore. But uh, so if you have groceries to, to, to go pick up or errands to run, you can do that. We have a hard stop right at 1 p.m. Uh, today. But we will feed your kids. We will hang out with them and um, uh, just really uh, have discussion time with them uh, right after this service. Um, also, uh, as Pastor Claire mentioned, um, uh, we, we, uh, we're recommending books every week, and for this week, we're recommending Hunger for God by John Piper. Uh, it's about 150 or so pages, so if you want extra credit, uh, give your pat, you know, pat yourself on the shoulder for reading, um, then this is a book that you might want to pick up, and if you're interested in fasting. Um, also, just one other quick thing is, um, you know, I just really want to make it a point to say that if you are fasting with us, please make sure that you're medically able to do so. Uh, we don't want people fainting while they work, uh, you know, if, especially if you have a strenuous job, physically demanding. Um, for example, my father, you know, he, he works as a, uh, you know, as a chef, and so uh, he fasted half the day just because his job is too rigorous. Um, of course, parents, you know, for your youth students, if, if it's not, you know, developmentally appropriate for your child to be fasting at this point, of course, um, just use wisdom, in other words, as you apply this practice of fasting. We don't want uh, to, to destroy anybody's body through this. We don't want to disrupt um, uh, basic human processes in the body because of this. We just think that it's something very spiritually rich if you're able to apply it wisely to your own life. For some of you, if you're big like me, you could fast five days and you'll be fine, okay? So, um, you know, but, but for others, maybe you can fast only an hour, two, you know, uh, one meal a day or whatever, and that's fine too. Well, today we are going to be talking about fasting. And, um, you know, if you were here last week, we kicked off this new sermon series called New Life in Old Disciplines. And in this uh, series uh, in week one, if you did not listen to it, you can go back um, and listen to it. Uh, uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback, Jason. Um, but you can go back and listen to it. It's on our website, uh, on YouTube, uh, on podcasts as well. I would highly encourage you to listen to it, especially as we're going to be building off of that sermon for the next weeks. Uh, but today, our first practice we're going to be looking at is fasting. Uh, and so if you've been with us, hopefully you've been fasting on Fridays, again, if you're medically able to do so. Um, and, and hopefully that's been an enriching time for you. And so we'll talk about that. Uh, but last week, we talked about this idea of godliness, that we are to pursue it, strive, toil, work towards godliness. And and um, really, I challenge the church to stop being a fan of the Capital C Church, but to start being a team player. All right, if you are a Seattleite here today and you live in Seattle, great. But you know that this week was probably one of the hardest weeks for our city. As we heard that Russell Wilson is being traded to the Denver Broncos. My goodness, I understood what it meant to tear my clothes and to wear sackcloth and ash and mourn and weep. Um, it truly was. I did not realize that sports could impact me this much, but it did. And... Um, but as a fan of the Seattle Seahawks, I felt powerless, and I am powerless. I'm not on the team. I can't do anything. I'm not a coach. I'm not a general manager. I don't have any power in that. And, and sometimes as church members, as, as Christians, in terms of the Capital C Church, I think we oftentimes think of ourselves as fans, right? We look at the Capital C Church, and we look, oh, there's all this crazy stuff happening at church, or, you know, there's all, you know, the church is not as powerful as it should be, and we are just left powerless, saying, well, that's them, 
but rather we should consider ourselves as teammates, that we're players on the field, that if we train harder, that if we actually take our godliness serious, that we can contribute to the Capital C Church. If I were a player on the Seattle Seahawks now, I'd be thinking, I gotta start training like crazy because I gotta work with whatever quarterback comes into the system, hopefully not Drew Locke, no offense to him, but, um, but I've been watching highlights of him and uh, uh, no thank you. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but here today, we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of fasting, and we're hoping that this practice, as we dive into it a little bit deeper today, will become um, a much more real for you, much, uh, a, a much needed practice in your life. So we're going to be looking at three points today uh, designed around fasting, and the first point is, why should I fast? Uh, the second point is, what does fasting do? So what does it do for our bodies and for our souls? Uh, and then how should I fast? We'll talk a lot about details at the end of what does fasting look like as you do it every Friday or, wh- or what have you, or whenever you do it in the future. Um, we're going to be reading from two passages today. One is from Galatians 5, 16 to 17. And then we're going to skip over the middle part, which is about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And then we're going to jump to verse 24 of Galatians uh, 5. And then we'll look at Matthew chapter 9, 14 to 17. Um, you can just look here on the screens because we're going to be jumping around a lot. But at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word? Uh, if you're there at home, if you could rise and pause just for the reading of God's word and just really give it its full attention, uh, we'd very much appreciate that. I'll read this for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you afterwards. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17 and 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For though, uh, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And those who, uh, sorry, this is verse 24 now. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's move on to Matthew chapter 19, uh, 9, verses 14 to 17. This is one of the few times where Jesus teaches about fasting now. Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him, that's Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away the garment, or and the worst tears made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed." But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord Jesus, we ask that your spirit be here with us, illuminating the scriptures, helping us to perceive and understand, Lord, that, Lord, fasting is all about you. It's all about tapping into the power of the spirit, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray and we offer this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, Let's move into our first point, why should I fast um, I don't know if you remember old infomercials, right? They have black and white images, and then they have color images. Uh, so, for example, the Ginsu knives, right? They would have a guy or a female cutting a tomato. And I don't know why it's always tomatoes with these things, right? But they're cutting a tomato, and they're squashing the tomato with this kind of dull knife. And they're sweating, and they have a frown on their face. And it's all in black and white. And they ask this question like, you know, have you, have you uh, experienced dull knives? And, uh, you know, are you sick and tired? of squashing your tomatoes, right? They ask you these kinds of questions. And then they flip over to this color picture. And the color picture is of somebody with their Ginsu knives and they're cutting it now effortlessly, just kind of, you know, going right through it like butter. And they say, well, now here's the solution, Ginsu knives for you, right? 
I say that because today I, I, I sort of want to start off the same way, sort of gimmicky a little bit. Right? Are you tired of committing the same sins again and again and again in your life? Are you tired of being controlled by lust, fits of anger, envy, jealousy, divisions, drunkenness, and things like these? Well, look no further because we have the cure for you today. I joke, but this is, this is really what I want to touch upon today. Are you tired of being controlled by lust, by fits of anger, envy, jealousy, divisions, drunkenness, and things like this? And do you sometimes as a Christian feel like there's no end in sight, that there's no hope for you to live with the fruit of the Spirit in mind? Because what Paul is saying to us in Galatians 5 is he's saying there is real freedom. You can walk with the Spirit. You can experience the fruits of the Spirit like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all of these things and more. In fact, look, look here. I, I, I got this list of fits of anger, jealousy from, from actually Galatians 5. If you look at verse 19, this is the part we didn't read. This is the works of the flesh. Look what he says. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's the black and white picture he's saying. This is how your life is. They're evident. They're very clear right now. This is how you're living. But then he says later on in verse 22, look what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's a famous verse, right? Joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You have permission to do this all you want. And Paul is saying we can have freedom. And so let's look a little bit more deeply at this passage, okay? Look at how many times Paul uses this word flesh. He uses it four times. Verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You can underline that if you're taking notes. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And then he goes on to say, desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And then in verse 24, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That word in the Greek is the word sarks. And that word can have three meanings to it, just like the word squash does, right? Squash in, in English can have three meanings. It can mean the vegetable that you can cook and eat and enjoy. It can mean uh, like flattening in an object where you squash it. Or it can mean the sport, right, where you're playing squash. In the same way, sarks has three meanings, right? One of the meanings is this. It's the materials of which various bodies are com composed, meaning the body, your actual physical flesh. Uh, in the plural, in the same sense, it can mean humanity, all of us combined together. Sarks can also refer to someone's ethnicity. And this is why every time you see the flesh in Scripture, it's not always a bad thing. I think in Christianity, we've, we've come to the knowledge that every time we see the word flesh, we should think bad, 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 but it's not always bad. It's only in the last sense here, which this is from John Mark Comer. This is his uh, definition. He says, the animalistic cravings of our body apart from God. I think there's this tendency in Christianity to think the flesh is bad, but actually I want to say the flesh is good, right? Sarks is good, um, right? Your desire to have sexual intimacy with your spouse, that's a, good, uh, that's a good wanting of yours, a good appetite to have. It's good to have a desire for food. It's actually good to be angry at times. It's good to be jealous, right? God is a jealous God. But what this is talking about here, the sarks that Paul is referring to here, the flesh that we oftentimes think of, is when sin kind of gets mixed in with the flesh, these desires, and disorders them and makes them such that they're more powerful and more important than they ought to be. 
And so this is the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He defines this word sarks like this, the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. This is what's opposed to the spirit, not our flesh in general. In fact, our hope is the resurrection, is to be in the flesh at the end of time, to be with Jesus in perfect fleshly form. So it's not bad to be in the flesh. The flesh is good. And so here's the question now. How do we move from this black and white, right, uh, image of, of, of the flesh, of the works of the flesh, to now this color, full color picture of what it means to walk in the spirit? And I hope you know where I'm going with this, right? We're talking about fasting today. And so here's the answer. The answer is fasting. Now, I want to make a caveat here. I'm not saying that if you do all of these legalistic actions, this will necessarily happen. You can't force the Spirit of God. But let me now share with you what I believe fasting does from Scripture. How does fasting help us to move from black and white to now colored living? Okay? So how does fasting train our bodies for godliness? How does fasting help us to fight the sins of the flesh? Look what John Mark Homer goes on to say in his book, Live No Lies. And by the way, if you want to pick up that book and read it, I highly recommend it to you. It's, it's a really easy read, really great book to read, but he has a small portion on fasting, and this is what he says. Fasting trains our body to not get what they want, at least not all the time. Fasting is to our fight with the flesh a way to starve our flesh and weaken its hold over us. And so here's the first aspect of fasting is it helps us to starve the flesh, the sarks. Do you remember a few weeks back I gave a sermon on um, how we become spiritually sleepy? How do we stay spiritually awake? And one of the things I mentioned in that sermon is if we starve ourselves spiritually with the Word of God, we don't read the Word, we don't eat the Word of God, we don't pray, right? We will become spiritually sleepy because starvation leads to death. And if you flip that around, right, you take it from a godly perspective to a kind of more sinful perspective, a vice perspective, Similarly, if you starve the flesh, if you starve the sarks, you will kill it. If you starve your sinful passions that are in the flesh, you can kill your flesh, your sarks. It is a way for you to train your body to not give it what it wants. Right, what is the international, intergenerational symbol of joy? It's feasting. It's food, is it not? Every culture, every time, every place, every generation, feasting and food has been at the center of what it means to have joy. This is why the Bible in Isaiah, in the prophets, always talks about heaven as a feast. Because this was the most fun, most joy you could ever have in life is by feasting and eating. In fact, for us today, even in our modern age, I would argue the same thing. Feasting and eating are symbols of joy. Right, what's the first thing you think about when you travel? Where am I going to eat? Let me go to Yelp and look up all of the restaurants that I'm going to eat at. In fact, if you're like me, you travel only to eat, right? You only go to New York so you can try their pizza or whatever it is. You only go to California so you can eat good Korean and Mexican food, right? You only go to these places to eat. In fact, if you go to museums and stuff, I mean, that, that's great. But, but for most of us, if you're, you know, like an average human being, you go and you travel to eat good food. In our greatest celebrations, marriage, birthdays, and promotions, we generally celebrate with, at the center of it all, feasting and celebration and eating and food. Food is the, the, really the symbol of joy because food is the basic like, appetite of the human being, the most animalistic appetite that human being have, has that brings us a tremendous amount of joy. And to fast from it, trains our body to not give it what it wants. And this is why I said at the beginning of our 40-day campaign, hey, let's fast from food. 
And I'll talk about this a little bit later, but fasting, uh, abstinence from uh, social media or abstinence from driving or these things are, are great, but this is not fasting. In the church, in scripture, when it talks about fasting, it's always about food, about ripping away the thing, the basic fundamental thing that, uh, that is joy, which is food. We're training to, to not give ourselves what we want. Remember last week I talked about this. Godliness is training, training, training. We toil, we strive. And so we are training to not give ourselves what we want so that when we're confronted with lust, we don't give our bodies what we want. When we come to fits of anger, we don't give in to that disordered desire. When we come to jealousy and envy, we don't give in to our thoughts, but we're able to celebrate others. You see that? Look at what John Mark Comer goes on to say about fasting. With fasting... We decide of our own accord to not give our bodies what they want, food. As a result, when somebody else decides to not give us what we want or life circumstances decide or even God decides, we don't freak out, rage, or go ballistic on Twitter. We've trained our souls to be happy and at peace even when we don't get our way. When done rightly, it is a pathway to freedom. Fasting, listen to this, fasting is practicing suffering. Fasting is practicing suffering. It's teaching our bodies to suffer. And listen to this. This was even more powerful for me. Suffering is unavoidable in life. Joy is not. In fasting, we're learning how to suffer with joy. Look what Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5 verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you want to crucify the flesh? Do you want to put it to death? Do you see Jesus Christ died on a cross not so that we would never have to die, friends. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we would be crucified daily. So that daily we would lay down our lives. So that daily we wouldn't give ourselves what we want. Daily put ourselves to death. And fasting trains us to do this. To put our flesh to death. Here's a second thing going on with fasting. And this one, I, I have to do a little bit of scriptural kind of putting together stuff. So I'm going to take a little bit of a tour but I want you to stay with me. We're going to start in Galatians. We're going to move to Matthew 9, and then we're going to go to the book of Acts. But follow me because I'm going to put all of these things back together, okay? But here's a second thing that uh, fasting does for us. It not only starves the flesh, but it opens ourselves up to the Spirit. Now, you have to understand, if you know me at any point in my Christian walk, I've never been a charismatic. I've never been Pentecostal. Uh, I've never been mystical in my life. But, but here... Right? I believe the scriptures tell us that fasting really opens us up to the power of the Holy Spirit. That if we want power, right, we've heard this in Romans, we hear it in Galatians, that if we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Him, it actually comes when we fast. So let's turn our attention to the second passage now in Matthew 9, okay? This is one of two times where Jesus teaches us on fasting. And here's what happened, right? John the Baptist, who is essentially the Scotty Pippen to Jesus Christ, who's the Michael Jordan of everything, right, is still a very great player, a very good, you know, a very famous person, right? And all the disciples follow him. And so John the Baptist's disciples, he had many of them, come to Jesus and they say, hey, why don't your disciples fast? Because apparently Jesus' disciples didn't fast while Jesus was there. Jesus fasted, we know that from the wilderness, but the disciples did not fast. And so they ask, why don't your disciples fast? And this is why in the Gospel of Matthew, right, there's that famous passage where it says people accuse Jesus of being a drunk and a glutton because he ate with tax collectors and sinners and because his disciples did not fast. In, Ju in Judaism at that time, Jewish people would fast twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, every week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and yet Jesus' disciples did not fast. 
And Jesus gives us really two reasons why they don't fast. And I'm going to go through these uh, point by point, okay? The first reason is because he's still with them. He says, look, when you go to a, he basically says, look, when you go to a wedding, do you fast at a wedding? No, you celebrate, you eat good food. Why? Because the groom is there, the bride is there, there's a celebration happening. In the same way, I'm here, the bridegroom is here, we're celebrating now. We're not going to fast, we're not going to mourn. Fasting, is, in some sense, is a sign of mourning, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jesus then enters into a second parable, and he gives this parable about old wine and new wine. Old wineskins, new wineskins. And basically, the point here is this. You don't mix the old with the new. You don't do that. It destroys the old. It'll destroy the new. You don't mix the two together. And what he's saying here is that there's something about fasting that the Old Testament writers thought about that's very different than when after Jesus goes to heaven. There's a new kind of fasting, in other words, that's coming. And don't, don't mix the two together. There's something that's, that, that's new that's happening here. And I want to talk about that. I want to hone in on that. What's that new thing? I'm going to take you to the book of Acts now, okay? So just stay with me. Hold on to the spirit. Hold on to the fact that there's old fasting and new fasting, okay? And then let's move to the book of Acts, okay? Um, if, if you grew up in church like I did, um, you might have noticed a little movement in Christianity where maybe a Christian at some point, and maybe you believe this or still believe this, and I want to debunk this, okay? It is a bit of a myth, okay? Sometimes what Christians have done in the past, and it's happened to me, is a Christian would come up to me and say, hey, Eric, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And I'll say, uh, I, you know, at that time I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was baptized with water. They're like, no, 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 there's a different baptism. There's water and there's Holy Spirit baptism. You were baptized with water, but you have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit now. So they, what they did is they laid hands on me. And they laid hands on me. They prayed, 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 prayed. Holy Spirit come. And they said, you know that the Holy Spirit has come upon you when you start speaking in tongues. You're going to start speaking in tongues. You're going to start prophesying. If you don't speak in tongues and prophesy, that means you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Pray, 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 hoping that I would speak in tongues, okay? Where they're getting this from is from the book of Acts. There's a passage in Acts chapter 19 where Paul, the apostle, is walking by these disciples. And he says to them basically, hey, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And they say no. And they're like, we don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. And so he goes and he basically baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. They, you know, fire falls on them, Holy Spirit falls on them, and they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so they're not too far off. They're trying to read scripture appropriately. I'm trying to give them some credit, right? But here's the thing. Let's look at the passage now in Acts chapter 19. I'll put it up here on the screens for you. And he said to them, this is Paul talking to these random disciples on the side of the road. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. You see, I think if these Christians read a little bit more deeply into Scripture, what they would have seen is that actually what Paul is trying to differentiate from is not water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. He's trying to differentiate between John the Baptist baptism and Jesus Christ's baptism. You see that? He says, uh, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who has come after him. That is Jesus So he's saying, look, there was John's baptism, now there's Jesus' baptism. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid uh, his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. In other words, you don't need two baptisms. You just need one, water baptism. And when you're baptized with water, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit at the same time. This is New Testament, post-Jesus, resurrection, ascension, baptism. The old baptism, John's baptism, was not in Jesus, was not centered on Jesus and empowered with the Spirit. Do you see that? 
But the new baptism is centered on Jesus and empowered with the Spirit. Old baptism, new baptism. What's the difference? Jesus-centered, Spirit-empowered. That's the difference. When Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, what was the thing that he promised us? He promised us that the thing that would be different about me ascending into heaven is that the Holy Spirit will come, John 14. And here, what he's talking about when he says new fast, old fasting and new fasting is he's saying this. Look, the, the old fast didn't take me into account. It didn't take into account the Holy Spirit. But the new fast now is all about me, about Christ-centered. It's all about me, right? This is what the whole passage is about. Fasting is all about Christ. It is Christ-centered. But then at the same time, it is spirit-empowered. This is what separates the old fast from the new fast. And this is what separates Christian fasting from every other fasting in the world. Do you realize that there is fasting in every single domain of, of, of life? Right? The Hindus fast, the Muslims fast, Jewish people fast. Do you realize that there's political fasts, like Mahatma Gandhi fasted for political reasons to end, uh, to end uh, certain programs or whatnot? And do you realize that even in health, right, in diet circles now, they give TED Talks about fasting, right? So what separates Christian fast? Well, let me tell you, it's Jesus-centered and spirit-empowered. Look, when you fast, you're not only starving the flesh, but what you're doing is you're tapping into the spirit's power, you're tapping into the very power that you need to live a godly life. Look, if you're struggling with pornography, try fasting regularly, once or twice a week. Like, you, you can't just fast once a year and then hope for results. You've got to fast once or twice weekly and see what that does to your flesh and how it opens you up to the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you tried it? I dare you to try it. If you're struggling with fits of anger, try fasting regularly once or twice a week and see what that does to your flesh and how it opens you up to the power of the Spirit. If you're struggling with jealousy, envy, drunkenness, and bitterness, try fasting regularly once or twice a week and see what that does to your sarks and what that does to, to you and opening you up to the power of the Spirit. But did you know from the very earliest times, and this is what John Piper talks about in his book, from the very earliest Christians, there's a document called the Didache, which is an early Christian document. And this didache actually commands the early Christians to fast twice a week. But guess what they do? Because of this passage, Matthew 9, there's an old fast and a new fast. He, they command the Christians, look, don't fast the old way. They fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You fast on Wednesdays and Fridays because there's a separation between the old and the new. And so the earliest Christians from very early on fasted twice a week on Wednesdays and on Fridays. And guess what happened in those first 300 years of the church? I mean, they went from being a ragtag group of people, right, just small sect, right? Judaism was, I talk about this all the time, Judaism was the smallest religion in the Roman Empire. Christianity was the smallest sector of Judaism. There were all these sectors in Judaism. And then Christianity is the smallest of that, and then this becomes the greatest religion in the Roman Empire, and then they actually convert the emperor named Constantine. This is crazy. How did they do this? What were they doing? They fasted. They prayed. If you read all of the revivals, right, the Welsh revival, the Korean Pentecost, if you read about the great awakening that happened here in the States, look at what happened before. People prayed and they fasted. I don't know where as a church, as the capital C church, we lost this notion of fasting. This is where the power is. This is where we get power to starve the flesh and to tap into the Spirit's power. Again, it's not, it's not like we're trying to earn something or we're trying to get the Spirit to do what we want, but I'm saying this, that if we want real power in our faith, in our godliness, we've got to be a church that fasts regularly. 
If we want to crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit, it requires a fast on behalf of the Christian church. So let's move on to our third and final point, how should I fast? Well, here's the first point. We have uh, multiple subpoints, but here's the first point, is regularly. And when I read this, I was, I was quite saddened. <laughs> I, I actually had a season of mourning. Um, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, right? It's, it's right up there, when you fast. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, he says, my disciples will fast. And what he, what he means by this is implied is that we will regularly fast. And mind you now, the early Christians fasted twice a week. And so I thought, man, maybe, maybe, we need to, maybe I need to start fasting twice a week. And then I got sad because I was like, I love food. I love a crispy French fry and a succulent burger and a nice Diet Coke to wash it all down with. I don't want to give that up. I'd rather have a tender steak than the word of God right now. I'd rather have a cold beverage than the living waters, if I'm honest with myself. And Ruth Haley Barton, there's another book that we're going to recommend when we get to Silence and Solitude next week. Ruth, Bailey Hart, uh, uh, Ruth Haley Barton in her book talks about this idea of the push and pull of the spiritual practices. And what she means by this is she's saying, look, there's a, there's a part of us that wants to do the spiritual practices. We're hungry. We're, we're thirsting for spiritual life. And part of us is like, yes, I want to do it. But then a part of us are like, uh-uh, it's too hard. Look, I'll, I'll let you know something that I'm wrestling with now, which is even after we're done with this 40 days, am I called as a pastor to fast at least once a week and then to fast maybe twice a week? Sunrise to sunset, this is how the ancient Christians did it. So during the summers, longer fast. During the winter, shorter fast. So maybe I'll wait for winter to come to, to begin it, right? But I, I, want, you, I want you to hear that because I want you to wrestle with this too. That maybe as a church, what we have to do as Christians is like we pray regularly and we will never stop praying until we die. We will never stop worshiping God until we die, which is a discipline. We never stop coming to church until we die. Similarly, we will never stop fasting until the day we die. I wonder if this is what the Christian church needs to do to really have spiritual power in our lives. And this is what I'm wrestling with. But again, my spirit is telling me yes, but my body is telling me no. I don't want to do it. Here's the second thing. How do we fast? Fasting is food-related. We must fast food. So whether that's a, a meal, two meals, a whole day, two days, three days, we must fast food. Everything else is called abstinence. That's a different discipline. You can abstain from social media. You can abstain from driving a car. You can abstain from certain pleasures in life, but that's abstinence. And that's a great spiritual discipline, but that is not fasting. Biblical fasting is food-related. Also, right, this is a very short point, but fasting is not the forfeit of evil, but of good. You cannot fast from lying, cheating, stealing, lust, or violence. That's just called being a good Christian, right? Like, just don't do those things. So if any of you have ever said, like, oh, I'm going to stop, you know, uh, watching pornography for this amount of time, that's my fast. That's not a fast. That's called just being a good servant of Christ Jesus, okay? Here's the third thing. Fasting won't feel spiritual or magical at first. I think as I talk about the Spirit's empowerment, maybe some of you are thinking, wow, like, am I supposed to experience like, some kind of new magic or some kind of new experience inside of me? And, and the answer is no. There's nothing magical or spiritual like, about this. In fact, look at what Richard Foster says in Celebration of Discipline. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately, David said. I humbled my soul with fasting. Listen to what Richard Foster says. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger, 
And then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. You're not going to break out in revival. You're not going to have warm, fuzzy feelings about Christ. What's initially going to happen when you fast is you're going to realize that all of these demons live inside of you. You're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to even say, like, I can't even focus in on reading the Bible. I feel so weak and powerless. And in that weakened, uh, weakened state, in your brokenness, you're going to then cling on to Christ and say, man, this is why I need Christ's grace all the more in my life. It's not going to feel magical. It's not going to feel spiritual. It's going to, be, it's going to feel very much like you're a broken, broken person. Um, just as a little uh, a side note, this is how the Holy Spirit actually works. I think there's a misconception in, in Christianity that when the Spirit works, it's in these grand gestures of prophecy and healing and miracles. But actually, if you read Scripture very carefully, and J.I. Packer in Knowing God talks about this, the Spirit's primary role is actually not to point attention to Himself. He's actually like a light, like a floodlight, shining it upon Christ and saying, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at Christ. You see, what happens when you look at a floodlight? You know, like, one, like, like these lights right before me, right? They're, they're beaming down on me. I can't actually see the light themselves. I just see like, like light. I just see light. That's all I see. I can't actually see the form of the light. But what I can see is I can see everything the light is casting onto. You see that? And in the same way, you, can't, you won't know the Holy Spirit's working in you because that's how good the Holy that's how humble the Holy Spirit is. He's going to be put, putting all the attention and focus on Christ. And when he puts the focus and attention on Christ, what you're going to experience is, man, I'm a sinner. And man, God's grace is abounding all the more. Here's the fourth thing. As you hunger for food, hunger for God. Uh, as you hunger for food, hunger for God. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, um, there's a prophetess named Anna. And Anna is praying in the temple day and night, and she's fasting. And what is she fasting for? She's fasting for Jesus to come. She's fasting so the first Messiah might show up. And when she does, she's blessed, and she worships, and she has this moment with Jesus and Mary. Um, when we fast, we've got to take our hunger, our, our feelings of hunger, and turn it towards God and the things of God. Uh, you know, when I fasted this past Friday, I... I realized, or not this past Friday, but the first Friday that we did this. Man, I realized a few things about myself that I, I did not even know I did this, but I actually look forward to dinner. And I look forward to dinner quite frequently. I didn't realize. I, because I try to like diet in the morning. I try to eat healthy breakfast, healthy lunch. And then I try to like go a little crazy at dinner time, you know. Uh, I try to work out in the middle so I can go a little crazy at dinner time. And so I look forward. And I oftentimes I'm planning out dinner. Am I going to eat a steak? Am I going to eat this? What am I going to eat for dinner? But when I was fasting, I realized there's nothing waiting for me. There's no food. There's no cheeseburger. There's no steak. There's no chicken. There's no nothing. Like nothing is waiting. And I got really sad and I got very depressed and I started mourning actually. And I remember telling my wife, like, I literally have nothing to look forward to. And, and, and in that moment, I felt God saying to me, well, look forward to something else then. Maybe turn your hunger for something else. Turn it for other joys. Like, what about me? Are you, are you longing? Are you hungering for me, Eric? Are you hungering for the things that I want? Do you hunger and thirst for the war in Ukraine to stop? Do you hunger and thirst that women and children wouldn't needlessly die? 
Do you hunger and thirst that racism will come to an end? Do you hunger and thirst that left and right political divisions will cease? Do you hunger that we will no longer hate and be bitter but love one another? Do we hunger to not be lonely? Do we hunger to not lust for money or power? Do we hunger for peace and for life and love and forgiveness? Do we hunger for the things of God? And that's when I took my hunger and I said, okay, I'm going to hunger after. I'm going to try to find my joy in a day when all of these things will come about, when there will be no more war, no more tears, but there will be peace and love and life everlasting. Here's the fifth thing. As you hunger for food, hunger for people. Fasting is not just about nearness to God, but remember those around the globe who do not eat. Right? As you hunger, remember that this is your choice, but there are so many people in this world who do not have a choice, but they hunger because they do not have access to food. And primarily war-torn areas like Yemen right now, where they cannot get access to food because of war. And so children are literally starving to death. You can see the images online where they have bones. And as you hunger, you have to remember that there are people in this world who are experiencing injustices. We cannot separate fasting from love of God for love of people, in other words. This is where God gets really angry. Go read the Old Testament. The Jewish people fast, and they fast, and God's like, you fast, but then you like put your workers into slavery. How dare you? Fasting is all about love for me and love for people. You've got to hunger for both. You can't just hunger for one or the other. You've got to hunger for both. In Mark 11, Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, and the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people. You have to hold those two things together. He actually calls two commandments in that chapter one commandment. He doesn't talk about it in the plural. He talks about it as a singular commandment, to love God and love people. Why? Because he's encapsulating both of those commandments as one thing. You can't separate them from each other. If you love God, you're going to love people. If you love people, you got to love God in order for that commandment to be the greatest commandment. In the same way, if you're fasting just to love God, but you don't give a rip about people, then friends, that's not a true fast. You've got to love God and hunger for people as well. And here's the last point. Fasting is all about Christ. Fasting is all about Christ. But as I mentioned, one of the reasons why the disciples did not fast is because the bridegroom was there. There was a celebration But you have to think, right, just like death, right, many of you have experienced loss in your life, whether it's a parent that that passed away, maybe it's a loved one, a friend, a grandparent who who passed away, and maybe they were Christians, and you knew in your heart, I'm going to see them once again, it's okay, but nonetheless, even though you know that, they're not physically present with you, and so you mourn and you weep. In the same way, when we fast, what we're doing is we're mourning and weeping because Jesus is not physically present with us. The bridegroom is gone. He's not here with us physically. Yes, we have his spirit. That's great. Yes, of course, we have his power. That's great. But we don't have him physically here. We can't hug him. We can't kiss him. We can't touch his hands like Thomas did. We can't do those things because he's not physically here with us. And when we fast, what we're doing is we're mourning and we're saying Jesus is not with us anymore. But he will come back and I pray and I ask that you return, Jesus. I ask and I pray that we hunger for you once again, that you would come back, that you would come back to fill up our lives with your presence, with your bodily presence here with us, friends. And this is why we fast. This is what it means to have a Christ-centered fast, that when we centered upon Christ, what we're saying is, Christ, we mourn because you're not here with us. And so we fast and we weep on this day because you are not here with us. But we also pray that you would come back and you would come back quickly, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, comes, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And friends, this is what fasting is all about. I pray that if you're not fasting yet, it's okay. Progress, not perfection. 
If you're just fasting one meal a day, progress, not perfection. But I encourage you, if you have not started fasting yet, please join us. Even if it's one meal, even if it's two meals, whatever it is. If you want to do it for three days, that's up to you. But whatever the case is, apply wisdom and join us in this fast every Friday. Because our prayer is that we would strive and toil towards godliness because ultimately of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this passage, for these passages. Lord, for those of us who are stuck in our sins, Lord, we ask for forgiveness first. Would you help us, Lord, to fight against the flesh, Lord? But first we confess, Lord, that we have failed you, that we have failed our loved ones, that we have been hypocritical, liars, cheaters, in every sense of the word, Lord. And Lord, we confess before you all these sins. And Lord, we ask that your renewing blood on the cross would renew us, give us the power to pursue you, to pursue godliness, to toil, to strive after you, O Lord. So Lord, we ask that you bless, God, this practice. We cannot control you. We cannot control the outcomes, Lord. And so we ask that you would bless our endeavors. You would bless our efforts, Lord, with empowerment of your spirit. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.